Hello, I'm M. And I'm Eyes. And welcome to our brand new podcast, Tipples and Tolkien. Let us be your guides as we return to Middle Earth this fall with the premiere of the new Amazon show, Rings of Power. We'll discuss episodes with you, tell tales of old, and even bring you a brand new tipple recipe every week to enjoy. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, as well as Twitter, which is at Tipples Tolkien, that is T-I-P-P-L-E-S T-O-L-K-I-E-N and Instagram at Tipples and Tolkien. So cozy up, pour yourself a drink, and come on a journey with us this fall on Tipples and Tolkien. Previously on Second Edition One. Yeah, it's very like she's our token. Oh, there's there's a I have two things going on in my brain right now. I mean, just I've, two. I've <laughs> I was gonna say that's 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 a but, that must be a nice relief for yeah, you to only have two. But thirty-three of them aren't for the podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. Two of them could be. Action stations, action stations. Set condition one throughout the ship. This is not a drill. Repeat. Action stations, action stations. Set condition one throughout the ship. This is not a drill. The silence were created by man. They rebelled. They evolved. They look. And feel. Human. Some are programmed to think they are human. There are many copies. There are many copies. And they have a plan. Action stations. Action stations. Set condition one throughout the podcast. Welcome again to set condition one. A Night Shift Radio original. I'm your host, SC1 Actual Caleb, and joining me on the CIC is the XO Kitsy. I, I don't think ties in this episode. Y- yeah, it's, no. Oh. I mean, you still have to be. Yep. Uh, show me in my contract where it says that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me find the contract. What if I had a contract? <laughs> like, that would be wild because I've never seen it. It like extracted your signature from like something else that you had signed and like digitally. <laughs> Fuck. <put it> Fuck. <laughs> I told you I needed your signature for a field trip. <laughs> oh god damn it! I knew that was a lie. Yeah, I knew that field trip to See? Colonial One wasn't true. Nah. Wasn't real. And the other voice you hear is the president of the podcast, the Twelve Colonies, and our hearts, Andrea. That's me. Speak That's for yourself. Me. <laughs> That's me. I am the president of my own heart. Thank you very much. Oh, it's kind of beautiful. Right? Yeah. We're here today, of course, talking about uh, season three, episode 16 of the 2004 sci-fi hit Battlestar Galactica, entitled Dirty Hands. Hell yeah. Now, in preparation preparation. for this episode, I have not washed my hands since the last time we recorded. I've been out working on an oil rig and then uh, fixing cars in my spare time. That's nice. that's what I was doing in Chicago the whole time. Was actually... Where did you get cars? You don't have a car. <laughs> I didn't say I f- fixed my car. You just like <laughs> just working out, walking around. <laughs> it, was it, is it like you know how like sometimes when tattoo artists travel, they'll do like a guest spot at a different shop? Were you doing like a guest spot at a mechanic? Sure, we'll say that. And <laughs> definitely not that I just walked up to people's houses and worked on their cars. <laughs> Whether they needed to be fixed or not. <laughs> You're welcome. Come out, the guy comes outside, what are you doing? Change your oil. Why? Mm-hmm. So the refinery ship is uh, is really the, the beating heart of the fleet. Mm-hmm. It's where all the, the fuel comes from. Like we've I feel like we've we've talked before about like, you know, how do they how do they have all of this fuel? Like how are they just jumping around and like powering these engines? Uh, it's because they have at least one, I think possibly two. Uh, refinery ships, if I'm not mistaken. Although this episode focuses, uh, this is a good one specifically mm-hmm. on one, and they don't say the name in this episode. But uh, <clears throat> I, I am absolutely flabbergasted. I could have sworn this is when we get the name of this ship. I've been looking forward to the name of this ship coming up the entire time we've been doing this show. Because I legit thought this episode, first of all, was in season one, <laughs> and I also legit thought that they said the name of the ship in the episode. And I'm just fucking on the edge of my seat over here waiting for when it comes up because it's my my favorite ship name kitsy do you want to tell us the ship name no we're gonna wait okay i have to wait to hear it you all have to as well fair enough fair enough yeah i also uh tend to think that this episode comes earlier in fact in my brain i often get it mixed up with the prison ship riot which does happen Hmm. in season one yeah yeah Uh, and i guess you could kind of pick this episode up aside from a few little details um 
you kind of could put this episode just about anywhere. There aren't like m- many major spoilers, really. Yeah, I mean the only the only like relevant plot point that it depends on outside of this episode is that the the union on New Caprica. Mm-hmm. Mm. But you could have easily done this episode without re- yeah, referencing that exactly. union. So, so speaking of which, we should uh, we should briefly recap that uh, mm-hmm. while on uh, New Caprica and you know transitioning to civilian life, uh, the laborers uh, of various types throughout the the colony, I guess, uh, throughout the planet, uh, had formed themselves a labor union because apparently in less than two years they were already being exploited <laughs> by management, which seems right. <clears throat> I mean, I guess under a uh, a Baltar uh, regime, the like it's it's probably not terribly. Uh, I mean, surprising. I've had jobs before that I've been at for less than two years and have been exploited at all of them. So mm-hmm. that tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not terribly difficult to believe uh, from that point of view. But I just think like they're com- they're starting a whole new planet here. Mm-hmm. Like the, there's no companies that have been around that have been established. like they're they're just like starting from scratch just doing shit and like not only uh do they like build a prison apparently. I don't know if the the Cylons made them do that later or if they'd already done it. Uh but they already had shitty management and <laughs> needed a labor <laughs> unit. Uh all that to say, uh our good friend boss Tyrrell, uh it's appropriate here. It's appropriate because <laughs> yeah. he's he's the union boss. He's yeah. the union leader. They they voted him in and he's you know he was really looking out for for the little guy on New Caprica mm-hmm. and now things have kind of gone back to normal that he's back on uh, the Galactica. He's he's back to running the the deck, running the 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 crew uh, that that takes care of the the Vipers and the Raptors. And uh, you know he's he's pretty, like you you can tell like he he misses the old days a little bit, but like he's mostly back to like his he he knows his role on Galactica is important, and that's what he's focused on. And we got a little bit of that in the episode where he and Kelly get locked in the. Uh, the airlock, you know, we know that he's really just dived right back into that uh, crew chief role. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us more, Caleb. I love Tyrrell so much. And every episode, I love him a little bit more. And I don't even know, like, he hasn't really done anything stand out for me, really. I think he's just such a solid, uh, like, he's just dependable. A good dude. He's a good union man. Like, I can't. This is one of my favorite Tyrrell stories because um, I, th- I think mm-hmm. this is a, a time for him to really shine as his like hero of the, the working class, and his just like mm-hmm. you know he's he's in a position of authority, but he's a regular guy who looks out for his people uh, no matter what, uh, and it just it really resonates, and like his personality gets to shine through in this. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so we, we touched on this again recently, but this episode specifically, uh, is what I was calling out way, way, way back at the beginning, uh, of the series when I said, you know, there are some really strong, uh, class divides, uh, between the, the, the various colonies and subsequently among the, the various ships and whatnot in the fleet. Um, and because I couldn't remember where in the show this episode existed, I, I thought this would come up a lot sooner. Uh, but it, it's kind of, it works that it's coming up now. Um, mm-hmm. We have uh, this growing sense that people from certain planets tended to be, to fall into certain uh, professions or certain lifestyles and whatnot. And once they ended up on the, in the fleet on the run, they kind of fell into jobs that were relevant to those skills and you know, we see a sense of people are starting to feel stuck, stagnant, um, and it's it's starting to to come to a head. And um, we have our, our friend Celix, who was uh, one of the the deckhands uh, that we we see periodically. She wants to be a pilot, and she aces her pilot's entrance exam, and like everything goes really well. But they tell her like, no, your job is too important. We need you down there, uh, and she's relaying this news to. Her coworkers, her her friends, as she's delivering their laundry, mm-hmm. so doing the real important. Now, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, someone's got to do the laundry. Let's be honest; it's imp- it's a very important it job. It is. It's not glamorous, but like, you got to have clean clothes but when you're getting dirty. It's with funny a the this the way this episode because a lot of people in this episode want to pretend like these class divides don't really exist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it, it's very much that like. Ameri- well, like like Capricorn dream of like you can be whatever you want if you just work hard and you know and are born rich 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like it's easy when you're on your home planet and you there's enough like going on that you can kind of get distracted from what's really going on, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. like here, when you start seeing how um, these class divides just get like reinforced over generations because everything has been streamlined mm-hmm. in a way that probably wasn't so obvious to them yeah. on, on the ground. Kelly uh, calls attention to something something she read, and we'll get to that in, in a moment. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Where there's this uh, developing, quote-unquote, ruling class and, like, lower class uh, amongst the fleet. It's, it's this strong kind of um, dichotomy uh, that's developed. And she, she points out specifically, have you ever noticed that all of the officers— and the pilots come from the like the richer colonies. So she calls out specifically Caprica, Virgon, and Toron, which I would have thought the Toron was more of like a farming colony. I I, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that they were considered one of the richer colonies. Uh, but that's technically where uh, the Adama family is from, if I remember correctly, from when when I did that that research early on. But and she says, you know, all the knuckle draggers, although the 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 deckhands mm-hmm. come from the poor colonies like Erlon and Sagittaron and Geminon, and. Uh, Chief points out, like, well, you know, we've got one officer that's from some, from Sagittarius. It's D, and she's like, yeah, you'd notice that she made officer after she married someone from Caprica. Something I am often not frustrated by, but kind of makes me like, oh, hmm, hmm. that's the sound I wanted. It makes me like, hmm, is whenever make you go, there's hmm. like, <laughs> um, is whenever there is. A metaphor for, and I know that this is different, um, this is more of like a, a classism thing, but that is always rooted in, like, there's, untangling racism and classism yes. is very difficult, yes. but whenever there is something that is supposed to act as a metaphor for racism, and it's something like, the aliens are treated worse than the humans, or, and like, um, totally erases the point of actual racism in our world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or like, Harry Potter where muggles are, you know what I mean, like treated as if, but it's like we have real racism that we haven't dealt with and that, I mean, and now I want to talk about J.K. Rowling, so but... Basically what you're saying is that they, they've added additional layers of racism over and above the, the what really and exists. To hide to hide the ones that we aren't doing a good job of dealing with in our real no. world. Um, and so Duala is a really good example of of that happening in both directions her being the one that's brought up so then like we can say like no we're not classist or racist or planetist because look at Diwali colonist here. colonist because Diwali made it through you just aren't working hard yeah enough. yeah you, know, you just pull yourself up by your octagonal bootstraps <laughs> that's right all you gotta do is marry the fucking cag and then mm-hmm. you're good yeah. to go Why don't you just just marry an adama mm-hmm. yeah Tyrell says "cag." Yeah, there's <laughs> plenty of them. I love it. Uh, which I can't remember which colony uh, Tyrell's from. Was it Geminon? He's a Geminon. Yeah, he's no. Geminese. Geminese. Wait, isn't he? I think yeah. so. Because the Sagittarians were the 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 uh, fanatical religious uh, people that right. were uh, were being preyed on preyed upon by the uh, the mm-hmm. serial killer doctor, Doctor Jerry Springer. <laughs> that's right i get this I get my cease and desist letter from the jerry springer uh-uh. organization <laughs> he'd love it um the gemini's and the sagittarons i get i tend to get mixed up and i think it's because i associate them both with being a little more um religious is that well is that um correct yeah i mean we know that uh Tyrell's family was extremely religious right, that right. they uh, specifically had uh, a lot of their their scripture based around the the temple of five that uh, they found on the the planet. So that's fascinating. Um, Not to mention his mother was an oracle and his father was a priest. <laughs> that's right. I forgot his mother was an oracle. I remember his dad being a priest. Um, but uh, this whole conversation between uh, Tyrell and Kelly is is interrupted by a phone call, and it's it's from from the admiral. Let him know that uh, a buddy of Tyrrell's uh, named Zeno, you know, from back on New Caprica, good, good. Zeno Fenner. Such a good Zeno name. Zeno Fenner. It is a great name. Mm. Then Tyrrell's like, yeah, he's a good man. He's, he's a union guy. I, you know, I always liked him. Um, turns out he's been, he's been arrested. And the Admiral just says it's because he pissed off the president, which uh, Tyrrell believes and hopes that, uh, you know, the Admiral's kidding. <laughs> but 
We don't know. Because uh, if we take a step back a moment, uh, we know that uh, there was a, an incident with one of the Raptors uh, flying through the fleet. Uh, their, uh, one of their engines failed, uh, and the other one got stuck on full thrusters mm-hmm. and sent them spiraling straight into uh, Tori, basically. Yeah. On Colonial One. <laughs> Just happened to have the wrong window mm-hmm. seat that day. Mm-hmm. And that's why you never sit the window seat. Yep. Yep. Um, Isle or die. <laughs> Literally. Isle or die. But uh, yeah, so we, we learned that there's been some issues on the, the refinery ship and that, you know, the, the people on there, they're, they're overworked. They've been working 16-hour days for basically two years since the, the exodus began. There's not enough of them. They don't, they, there's no relief crew. Like, they're stretched past their limits. And so mistakes are happening. And he basically like, tells them, like, we need a break like we have to like we have to rest our people and there's little to no sympathy or empathy from the president or the admiral but Rosalind in, in particular is is pretty nasty initially mm-hmm. towards this and the uh Zeno makes some reference to the book <laughs> and, and he says you know if you if you hear the people you'll never have to fear the people which is a great line yes yeah. uh, and she uh, she has him arrested immediately in a, a really great scene where she's like, uh, guards arrest him for extortion and interrupting vital services during a time of a uh, time of war. Go ahead, take him away. That's it. Go out of here. Gone. <laughs> she's like shooing him out the door. It's so much when you think about the scene of her uh, from a few episodes ago trying to intimidate Baltar and mm-hmm. giving up what he knows, where she's at least I think is ratcheting up that performance to try to scare him i think mm-hmm. this is just more of that no i think this is just um what the hell is her name Rosalind. Rosalind. jesus that's okay this far down the line you'd think um <laughs> uh i think this is Rosalind just done like taking shit this isn't her she's yeah. not pretending to be anything she's just not having this. I do. I do want to say though that uh, Zeno brings up a really good point when he's talking to to the admiral and to to Roslyn, where you know he he's he's like you know I, we want to have this conversation, and Roslyn's like we can talk later. Right now, you need to go make yeah. more tilium, and uh, he's like it's funny. It's always we'll talk later. We'll talk later. But suddenly there's a glitch. Now I have FaceTime with the president, mm-hmm. and the admiral. Maybe we mm-hmm. should just start having more glitches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. He's like, you know, when the gas flows, no one answered my uh, my phone calls. Don't get returned. Yeah, uh, I'm like, oh That's yeah, right. that. I mean, that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. he's obviously been trying to raise the the concerns for a while on on behalf of you know, the people on his ship, and it's just it's not happening. And so the uh, the chief is sent over to the the ship to kind of assess conditions and see like what they need to do to get get back online. And at first they show him a, a big empty warehouse, uh, storehouse, whatever, with uh, just like a one small little pile mm-hmm. of uh, of sand, so this this dry rock, whatever, uh, that is, I guess, raw tilium. And I'm like, yep, yeah, that's it. This is all we got, which seems odd to me. But mm-hmm. uh, then they, they take him through the machinery. The machinery is all off. And they, he goes into a, uh, one of the other representatives on the ship. Uh, a cabot and goes into a whole explanation of what's been happening and like how they like you know it's they they have to take the the machinery offline to uh uh to do some repairs like it just it needs to happen and you know it, in the meantime it's given them all the break that they need but of course that's uh it's not good enough for for Tyrrell acting on the the admiral on the president's behalf and tells him you know we got to we got to turn this back on and he meets a, a almost twelve-year-old boy oh. who, who's been working on the ship for however long, and he's like, "Milo, right?" Yeah. And he's like, "Can I can I pull the switch? I know how to do everything else on here. The only thing I haven't done is turn the thing mm-hmm. on." <laughs> Teal says, "Go for it." Mm-hmm. There's this is a tiny little moment, but when he first gets there and he hugs. I, is it Cabot or Cabot. yeah yeah um, and Cabot apologizes because he gets some like yeah. sh- you know schmutz or whatever I don't know what it's not it's probably tilium 
like soot, soot, right? Um, on him, and, and he apologizes, and Tyrell says, uh, "Don't worry about it; it's inevitable." Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like that little bit of it's like such a small little like symbolic yeah. moment of like if you're going to come down here with us, you're going to end up with with like dirt on your hands, and you've got to. I wonder if that's mm. why they called the episode that. Mm. Dirty hands. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. Um, but I did skip a moment when we, we first meet Milo. It's uh, when the, the chief notices that there's some pressure seals missing. That mm. uh, Not just some, but all of them. <laughs> all of them. And obviously they, they can't get the machinery back up and running without the, the pressure seals to help regulate the pressure. Uh, and Milo's like, oh, no. yeah, oh. I just, you know, I guess they got lost, huh? <laughs> oh shit yeah so the the chief goes back and gives his you know assessment and he's like you know they they just they you know they they could have they could have had me injured they could have you know they could have done a lot of things while i was there but like all they did was hide the the seals so they could have a goddamn break mm-hmm. and you know, the 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 president and the admiral like you know, we just they can have a break when you know when this is all over Basically, like, clinging to this idea that they're just going to magically be at Earth next week and mm-hmm. you know, people can go and have a, a normal life, I guess. I don't, I don't really understand. Like, I get the sense of urgency that they have because, yes, the Cylons could show up at any minute and the fleet needs to constantly be at war readiness. Well, but the, also, like... Adama you, points out they only have enough Tilium to jump the whole fleet, like, once. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he does have a point that, like... They should probably have some more reserves if the uh, refinery is going to take a break. But the the point that they continuously miss through the whole first, like, you know, three quarters of this episode is the idea that, like, you can't push people like that forever. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they need, you need to rotate people out. You need to give people a break. And you, you, you're going to see more, uh, if not more, accidents like they had with the, the Raptor. Uh, more fatalities on the line, more you know, you're going to have bad fuel going out to the larger ships and you know, you're going to have people stranded in a silent attack. There, there's so many things that could go wrong uh, with this. And you know, when you have an impasse like this where the, you know, the, the workers are saying, you know, we need a break and the, you know, we're not going to make any fuel. We don't care about the, how bad the situation is. Mm-hmm. And you know, the leadership saying, we only care about how bad the situation is. Worry about yourselves later. Like that's, that's a recipe for trouble. Yeah, sure is. Yeah. Well, and it's already bad for the lower class. Like as long as things move smoothly, like operations move smoothly, the, the people in charge, I mean, it's, they're having a bad time, like responding, Perspective to their previous life or whatever, but mm-hmm. but for the most part, they're just kind of moving and waiting, as opposed to people who are actually working in the refinery and doing all the bullshit work with no sleep or break or. Yeah, that's the the like. Uh, we all have the same twenty four hours, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. your your twenty four hours is not the same as mine. Exactly. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, it, that is. Very much the case in this fleet, where like, yes, the officers uh, have you know, have a rough go of it. The pilots have a rough go of it. The the laundry uh, workers, the you know, I guarantee there has to be some sort of custodial staff. And mm-hmm. bless them, mm-hmm. if they don't even get acknowledged in right. this show, and they're probably working harder than just about anyone mm-hmm. except the refinery ship. Right. And Rosalind even goes into this tirade at one point. You know, we got all sorts of dirty jobs. We got the, you know, the wastewater processing and the the algae processing and this and that. And like, yes, that's true, but. They shouldn't be exploited either. either. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's not like, yeah. it's okay, we're exploiting everybody mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Uh, because you're not. Uh, it, it should be, let's find a way to not exploit people. Well, and it's bad uh, business when you only have so many people. Here on Earth, if you, you like, you can run your employees into the ground and, and there's a never-ending supply. Um, up in space with these people, they'll eventually run out <laughs> like you there can't i mean forty one thousand four hundred of yeah. them yeah and basically everyone who knows how to refine tilium is already refining tilium yeah like yeah. they don't have like there's not a whole uh just population of right. out-of-work tilium refiners just like 
sending their resumes exactly. out around the fleet going, hey, someone hire me. You know, and the bullshit of it is, too, that I just thought of is when the pilots were being overworked, they figured out how to get a few more in. Well, and then some died in that. But, like, <laughs> they train new pilots all the time. So mm-hmm. they do yeah. understand that you have to have, like, an... Yeah, but pilots are a very specialized exact, exact. job, you know? You can't just... Not just right. anyone can be a pilot. Right, so. like, like the way anyone can just be... Refined till Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for... Unskilled pilots, I mean, labor. You obviously have a, a very narrow uh, crop of uh, potential hires for pilots because they have to be from Capricorn. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Toron or... <laughs> Any old bullshit colony yeah. can uh, refine tilium. Yeah. <laughs> Any old shithole colony. Uh-huh. Oh, it's, uh, it's uh, like, oh, it's real life. The show is real life. It really is. It's, I'm, I'm sorry. I know I'm being extra. I don't know what today, but. You're being extra. I'm just being extra, period. You're so extra. Today. That's, that's me. Um, but we talk about how often this show echoes our current moment and then also its cultural moment um at the same time because all of this has happened before all of it will happen again but this one is like fully dickensian like it's it couldn't be more of the it just reminds me of any other any other any like victorian novel just set in space Mm -hmm. um this episode especially especially when we get to my favorite scene maybe in the whole series so far Mm mm-hmm (laughs) <laughs> um, and we will get there, but we have multiple Doritos contacts, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We're going to take our last jump because uh, oh, no. we, we're almost at Atilium uh, to a safer location. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about uh, how we're going to get more Tilium because we're going to need it. So don't don't go anywhere. Well, I mean, go go on the jump because if you stay where you are, the multiple Doritos contacts, which we presume are Cylons, we don't really... We don't know. Never really defined what the Dreda's contacts could are. Could be anything. We're not waiting around to find out. Yeah, we just mm. jump. Like fucking, it could be it could be an ice cream party, but we're out of here. Well, hold on, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Maybe we should leave a scout behind. Uh-huh. <laughs> just listeners, be our scout. Tell us if there's an ice cream party. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't afford to lose any listeners. We only have so many as it is. <laughs> there to hands. Hey, y'all. President of the podcast, Andrea here. And I want to tell you about a couple of night shift radio shows that we think you're really going to love. First up is a little podcast called Left of the Dial, featuring a couple of familiar voices. Every week, your hosts, Caleb and Kitsy, talk about a different record they love. They also have really incredible guests on all the time. Uh, For example, a recent episode features Max Collins from Eve 6, King of Twitter, and a special surprise co-host. It's me. I'm the surprise co-host. Focusing on new and independent music, Left of the Dial is a great way to find your new favorite band. And I'd also like to recommend the Superpod HeroCast. You looking for something heroic in your life? Go check out our friends at the Superpod HeroCast. They're guys with beers talking about movies with capes. Every episode goes in depth with a different superhero movie. Classic of modern cinema, certified stinker, it doesn't matter. If it's a superhero movie, they're going to talk about it. You start with a little bit of comedy, add in some film analysis, and finish it off with a heaping dose of geekery. You've got the Superpod HeroCast. Doesn't matter if you're a casual fan or a 20th level nerd. Download their latest episode, grab a beverage, and enjoy the fun. The Superpod HeroCast. Be heroic. And of course, you can find these and all of our other great shows at nsrad.io. Because it's rad. And it's like radio. Report. The... We're still we're very low on Tilium. The silencer. Does anyone they know if there hear. was ice cream? Uh, no. It, <laughs> it, was, was, it was Cylons. But it was all made it was, out of it was, algae. <laughs> it, was, it was algae ice cream. Uh, well, I mean, maybe that could be good. No. I'm sure that's a thing. No. You had some flavor. You make it like a green smoothie. No, yeah. it's just algae flavored. It's algae flavored <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> There's a really good vegan, I mean, there's a bunch in Jersey, but there's one that has a creamery that just opened, um, and they have smoothies, and they make all kinds of wacky bullshit, blue algae smoothies, and so yeah. I've seen enough Chopped to know that somebody's made algae ice cream. Mm -hmm. When we last left our heroes. (laughs) (laughs) So, the... 
the the crew of the refinery ship has has kind of self sabotaged a bit. They've hidden the the seals, and, uh, and the chief has to take this bad news back to the admiral. Mm-hmm. And the admiral's response is to uh, jail another person. He's like, "Who's their leaders?" And like you can tell, the chief's like, "I'm not telling you mm-hmm. shit, Danny." And then he's like, oh, "It's just Cabot because he's not gonna he's not gonna blow you know, blow up anyone else." I think he should have given him Milo's name. Like it's Milo. <laughs> Milo's the one. Milo's the ringleader. He's the leader uh, of all. All of them. <laughs> From that little snot no shit in jail <laughs> for a minute. And, um, I'm kidding. I love Milo. He's good. Like at this point, uh, I hope he gets to go to college someday. No, oh, yeah, or dental Maybe. school. I said dental school. <laughs> uh, he and Kelly can start a dental practice. Mm-hmm. I was making a Descendants uh, reference, but okay. Oh, I get it. The Descendants, it the band, the Descendants. Who are they? <laughs> So at this point, the, the chief is stinker. making the <laughs> argument to uh, to the president, like, look, there are there are families on here. There are children, like 12, 15, really 11. I mean, the kid said he's almost mm-hmm. 12 uh, years old, working in you know these dangerous conditions. And again, Rosalind, like, you know, oh, you know, there's, there's families throughout the fleet. There were families on the ship already. Uh, there were very fine people on every ship. Um, <laughs> there were families on the ship already. And, you know, more have shown up since. And, you know, the, the workers that have been there, for, they've, been, they've been training the kids. So the kids can, and the chief is like, do you not see this as a problem? Like, people are just inheriting jobs. Like, you know, I'm a deckhand. So, like, when my son grows up, I have to train him to be a deckhand. And that's all he can ever be. Like, Mm-hmm. You you don't see that as a problem, and she's like, "That's a very good point." <laughs> Sometimes, Tori, Tori, write that down. <laughs> no, she her her solution is to have Tori make a list of everyone throughout the fleet that has vaguely appropriate skills for heavy labor, and have a lottery to send relief workers over to the ship. That's mm-hmm. that's her solution. Sometimes, she's. A naive little school teacher. And other times, I swear she has ice in her veins. <laughs> this is one of those icy veins times, yeah, man. She is. is not... Th- this particular decision has some consequences, too, because uh, there's there's a kid. He's he's maybe 18. Maybe. I, I forget his name. Do you, do you have it in front of you there in the transcript? Danny. He got pulled in because That's he, right. he had, like, a farming internship for, like, 18 minutes before the <laughs> attack on the colonies, and now suddenly he's a farmer? How is that fair? Who do I need to talk to? I love How is that fair? love this. And it's, he, he's got a, like, again, the kid's got a point, mm-hmm. like. He was going to go to college for architecture. <laughs> yeah. Well. And, like, because. Well, Callie was going to go to dental school, bud. We mm-hmm. we don't need architects right now. Yep. We need Dillium. <laughs> I mean, like it, he, he makes a, a great point. I mean, he's obviously not. I mean, you, you look at him; he, he's not someone who's accustomed to uh, hard labor, and he's he's clearly not a farmer. He's an architect. He's a he's a <laughs> he's a nerd. he's a Ted. He's a Mosby. <laughs> <laughs> he's just out there waiting to meet someone's mother. <laughs> <laughs> Don't care whose it is; doesn't matter. <laughs> That's not how that. That's not what that show's about. No, I think it. I mean, I think you need to rewatch it. He's he's trying to meet the mother of his children, not just any mother. Did he's, I watch? He's not out there just trying to meet a mom. How I met. How I met your milf. Yeah, exactly. How I, how I met a mother. Uh huh. How I met a mother. <laughs> they, but so the, so, the so chief. The chief. The chief even the chief pulls Figurski oh in. <laughs> He even pulls Vigursky in. I'm not playing this game with you. Andrea, tell us about this interaction. But I just thought that Danny was Milo, even though I knew when we watched it, it wasn't. Um, I don't know. So, so the chief grabs Vigursky and he's like, what do you think? What do you think? Should we should we make an exception? And, and uh, I forget which one of them says it, but it's like, you know, if we make an exception for him, everybody's going to, it's a slippery slope. No, it's a slippery yeah. slope. Vigursky does seem like the type that would make a slippery slope argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he was he was kind of sleezing on uh, on Celix earlier when she delivered his laundry. No, he's like, right. oh, you you fold my underwear just like I like, little lady. And she's like, <laughs> like, she like she's ready to fucking clock him. Mm-hmm. The chief stops him, but like, really, he shouldn't have. Well, he yep. even says like, knock that shit off, Figurski, or I'll clock you myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, ah, uh, Tyrell. So, <laughs> Not that Celix so. couldn't 
handle her own with him. But, but you know what? It, it it looks better on the disciplinary records if the uh, <laughs> if the the officer is or the you know the person in charge is mm-hmm. is preventing fights among his people yeah. and then doling out discipline himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a chain of command here, Celix. You got to stick with it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can order you to punch him. <laughs> yeah, but don't just do it, Figursky. What a good Fugursky. name! It is a great name. It, it's it's very fitting for this guy. Yeah, the names um, on the show are so good. Like just... you you look, you look at this guy and you're like, yeah, that's a Figursky. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's definitely a Figursky. Oh, I definitely ran into this guy at a high end jewelry shop in Chicago. Okay, fancy high end, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. I was making this up, but then I, I realized I didn't. I didn't have the story fleshed out before I started talking. <laughs> but I was going to talk about meeting a a, a a real life version of this guy, and he was trying to hawk me high end. Anyway, oh, see, matter. I I thought that I met him at a firefighter bar in Boston. <laughs> yes. That was his old gig. That was his old but, gig. Yeah. He was a firefighter in in Boston, Boston, yeah, Boston, Boston, Boston. There it is. I wonder if Boston Gabe and Dr. Daniel happen to know. Figursky? Figursky. Oh, they definitely do. They all hang out. Yeah. What if there's a what if there's a real life Figursky and they listen to this and they're like oh. and then, Yeah, that's accurate. That's, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting there in his Boston fire department yeah. t shirt, like, like, Yeah, they got yep, me pegged. They got me. Oh. So the the chief decides that he wants to Learn a little bit about this this supposed book that's been been circulating. Uh, my, what was it? Let me find the name. The name of the book? Yes. It's uh, my failures, my triumphs by Gaius Baltar. My triumphs, my mistakes. Oh, my triumphs, Gaius. my mistakes by Gaius Baltar. But yes. My triumphs is in much smaller font because my <laughs> mistakes are far outweighing them at this point. I think. I love that whenever anyone references the, they say the full title, "My Triumphs, My Mistakes" <laughs> by Gaius Baltar, yeah. uh, or they, you know, the book. Anyway, so the the chief wants to know a little bit about this because he finds a copy on the deck and he reads it and he thinks it's baloney. Uh, specifically, he has a a problem with Galt- Galtar. Uh, Can you imagine the Galtar of this guy? <laughs> <laughs> he has a, a problem with uh, with Baltar portraying himself as a man of the people, specifically of you know a, a farmer kid uh, who like against all the odds like got away from his his rough past and and made a name for himself. Blah blah blah. blah all this this like bootstrappy shit. And he's like, "That's horseshit. You don't. You don't sound like I've met mm-hmm. Arrow, people from Aralon. You don't sound like you're from Aralon." And James Callis does oh, this so good, amazing, just like gravelly, gritty. The I, way he eases into it, it's not like a, a switch has flipped. He's like regressing. Like mm-hmm, he has yeah. to pull it out of him. It's, it is. Uh, and basically, basically what he's saying is he's like, I take that as a compliment because I, you know, changed the way I speak so that people would take me more seriously as a professional business adult, mm-hmm. um, basically. He says professional business adult. He does, yeah. yeah he, he hated farming. He hated Aralon. He hated everything about his his drab upbringing. And and the way the constants he, scrape the back of the throat. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to do the accent because no. I'll fuck it up. But uh, he does it so and well. And they've got that, cl- that like slide in close up. So by the end, you're just staring at his mouth and it's, yeah. you can just see it. Oh, it's so fucking good. So good. Oh, man. And he's like, do you, do you know how, do you have any idea how hard it is for a 10 year old boy to, to change the way he speaks? Um, but yeah, he's like, how could I not want to, you know, to be from Caprica? How could I not want to go to Caprica, the seat of knowledge and education and science and uh, and the learning. culture, the arts and learning? Uh, so and much smoothies. learning. Uh, <laughs> fucking Pip. For, like he's got great expectations happening here. He just needs a kind benefactor. Grain bowls and <laughs> microbrews. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be so upset if he's lying unless the reason that he's lying is because his programming as a silent has given him this backstory. That is the only oh, way that I will be okay. Ooh, that's is interesting. This is how we find out because I just love this scene so much and it's better for me if he's not being duplicitous in putting this accent on mm-hmm. but rather 
taking the affected accent off. Off. I've also worked really hard to drop my uh, low-class Jersey accent. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> if that ever peeks through, but I, it's it's a rare moment of seemingly seeing a, a vulnerable. And he's just going. He's nuts. going crazy back, back there. Uh huh. A seeming a, a seemingly genuine and vulnerable Baltar. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's still using it to his benefit, which I like because it's still Baltar. Yeah. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel. It's how he. That's how he rolls. Yeah, it makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, it just it doesn't feel out of nowhere, but it was such a fun surprise. And then um, you know the the chief tries to uh, be like, hey, you know, all of that. And that, you know, bifurcated society bullshit that you're talking about, the ruling class, that, that exists here. And Baltar is like, oh, yeah, from the word of a mechanic, or the mm-hmm, mouth of a mechanic. Mm-hmm. And, and Chief's like, we have democracy and, and government and rights and elections. And Baltar's <laughs> like, congratulations. I bet you feel, <laughs> I feel really happy and at ease, just, just the way the ruling class would like you to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, it, it's great. Like he, he just, and then he drops that. Like, do you really think this fleet will ever be commanded by anyone whose last name is not Adama? Yeah. It's very good. Mm-hmm. Though mm-hmm. that he brought it up. That makes me think that it will be. And that's for us, but it is a very good question in our it's, current state yep. of things. One set of rules for the aristocracy and another for the rest. And, so far, I haven't seen anything into the show to uh, discourage that notion. Mm-hmm. I do. I do think it's interesting that Baltar is very suddenly, uh, like considering himself not part of the aristocracy when he really has been for two and a half seasons. Oh yeah. Like, like he very much was part of that, and now that he's not, he's suddenly like, "Well, this is bullshit." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's. That's I feel like that's so that's so Baltar. It really is. That's like, so like, Baltar. Like, I didn't care about this until it affected me, and yeah. now I'm mad. Well, and uh, he knows that uh, he has no reason to believe that public opinion would be in his favor mm-hmm. uh, in the you know the oncoming trial, uh, and he knows that the only way he can like scrape together any kind of win. Uh, basically keep his life uh, intact is to appeal to the people and to turn them against the the ones who are currently uh, holding him captive and trying to make an example out of him. Uh, And it sounds like it might be working Mm -hmm. because people are reading it and they're, they're agreeing with it. And Rosalind Uh, doesn't like that. Mm -hmm. Rosalind does not like that. So, so Rosalind goes to visit him and you know, talks about his book and, and he's like, oh, so you read it and blah, 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 it's getting out. And she lies to him. She says, you know, we intercepted the pages your lawyers smuggled out. So I'm the only one who's read it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and I'd like the rest of the pages because I'd like to see how it ends. Um, Rosalind's a liar. Uh-huh. She has no problem lying. Not to Baltar, at mm-hmm. least, or really anybody at this yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's kind of got a little cutthroat, hasn't she? Yeah. I mean, she was, there were, there were flashes of it. But it's, I feel like it's she's, she's getting uh, yeah yeah I feel like she's she's like turning to the dark side a little <laughs> bit here, um, but uh, but yeah so so she she has the the guards search him and she takes the pages and it's like a whole thing but um, I do love that kind of like psychological warfare she she dumps on him by saying like you know I'm the only one who's read it which Baltar knows is false because the chief comes and says like, I read your book or whatever. So like, mm-hmm. obviously she's lying. Um, I forget where I was going with this, but that's, that's what happens. That's what happened next. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, the, the chief uh, goes to see his, his buddies in, in lockup just cause you know, he's, he's feeling like shit that, you know, he, in some ways uh, it, he didn't contribute to them being there, but he wasn't able to stop it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, he's like, look, just tell Tell me where the the seals are, so we can you know we can put this right, and you know get them to listen to you. And one of them, uh, Cabot, had been locked up on New Caprica by the Cylons, and he's having you know very traumatic. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Flashback responses to that, and you know, 
um, Fenner, Zeno Fenner is screaming, you know, you got to get him out of here. You got to get him. And Chief's just like, where are the seals? Like, mm-hmm. let me help you. And it's just this three-way shouting match until finally uh, Zeno gives up the location of the, the seals. And Adama releases the, the captives, lets them go back to the ship. Uh, the chief goes and reinstalls the seals, starts the line back up, and looks around, and the, the face is all just staring at him in mm-hmm. hurt and disappointment, uh, and some of them mostly confusion and not really knowing where they are. <laughs> and, uh, there's a lot of people that are just standing and staring. That, yeah. They were all uh, on their lunch break when this started, so they're still catching up. Yeah. Like, we don't actually know what's happening. We just <laughs> we stepped stepped out for a coffee. And, but like, the, and, this looks important. But the good news is that he gets the line started up, and they start making Tilium, and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then episode over. Uh, no, he, he sees the, the faces around him and he's like, this is like, this isn't, this isn't right. And then the, there's a, a catch in one of the, the, the lines, uh, something, something's gumming up the works and chief can't get his, his hands around it. They're too big. And, well, uh, I think it's important to call out that chief says like, shut the line down. And I think, is it Cabot or, or Zeno, I think uh, Zeno is, is like, we can't because, you know, there's too much, uh, the, you know, we can't just shut it down cause it'll blow up or whatever. Um, which I think is relevant like 30 seconds mm-hmm. later. Um, yeah. But uh, so, you know, they're, they're desperately trying to pull, pull this, this jammed piece of machinery out in, in the belt and chief just can't get his hand around. It. It's just, his hand is just too big. He can't get in there. Just can't get a hand, get a good grip on it. And who should show up, but our, our buddy, uh, Donnie, some little Danny, Danny, some little chimney sweep. Yeah. <laughs> get right up in there. And uh-huh. and he does. Yeah. He gets up in there, and it you know, takes him a minute, but he he frees it, and he gets the line moving again. You need an architect's hand for this kind of work. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he he's able to, to get get a hold of the thing, and it's it's a tense moment. They're like, yeah, we gotta you just pull it out, pull harder, harder. Yeah. And like, there's obviously this idea that if the machine stays jammed too long, it will explode, and they're on a literal fuel ship uh so it will be a glorious explosion uh possibly even worse than cloud nine r.i.p um and he gets it uh only to realize that his arm has been nearly severed in the process Uh, (laughs) of course Mm -hmm. Celix being the de facto medic apparently yeah uh uh, like tries to bandage him up, <laughs> like futilely telling him to calm down. Yeah, <laughs> kid nearly lost an arm. So like, just calm down, all right. But you see, you see Tyrrell's face. That's where he's like, "No, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is fucking wrong, and we're done here." He throws the switches and says, "This this line is done. Uh, we're on strike." And everyone cheers. Here's the thing. 30 seconds ago, they couldn't just shut it down because it would explode. Now, suddenly, it's fine. Well, they couldn't shut it down while it was jammed. That's what Because there was I too much heat running through the... If it was, like, system. backed up. But it's... So, they needed it. To, like, he, it went for a few minutes after, he, uh, after they freed it up. So, it was able to clear whatever backlog was there. Like, mm. That's not the least believable thing about this episode. What is? Hmm. What is? Probably the fact they're all living in space, mm. yeah, and have no. and have gravity for some reason, even though there's no reason that they should. Oh, that the person in charge would actually listen to the word of the people after being given one good reason to do so. Oh yeah, okay. That they fit that many people just standing around doing nothing around the line. <laughs> that sounds like union work. No, <laughs> no, I'm 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 kidding. I, yeah. um, was, please cut that. <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm anti-union because I'm definitely not. I'm going to cut you saying I want to sound like I'm anti-union because no, I'm don't definitely do anti-union. No! I would never the do that. The implication that they get paid, uh, I think, is the, the least believable thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think they are. I think that's the problem. That's the, the, the thing. Like, they, they're implied, like, oh, like, they're they're working all this extra time. Like, so they'll be compensated. Will they it's, it's with what? Coal miner exactly. town shit where they're working, even if they're getting paid, Let's pretend. Where is that money going? If it's, you know what I mean. They like, can't leave that ship. Yeah, so. it's whatever mm-hmm. the the company store is. The, all you got. I mean, really. Oh man. 
so the admiral finds out about uh, the chief leading a, a what he calls a mutiny. The chief uh, refers to as a general strike. Uh, they they have a bit of a disagreement, but you know it all works out, and you know, they hug it out, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. No, uh, chief goes in the brig, and uh, the admiral threatens to shoot Callie. Yeah, well, because because uh, chief gives her the order to put the crew on Galactica, the deck crew on Galactica, on strike and vital missions only. Which I love the moment that Starbuck comes sauntering in. She's like, I need my Viper. And they're like, sorry, mm-hmm. vital missions only. What the frack do you mean? Yeah. I, uh, what? Yeah. Nobody <laughs> Starbuck no. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, do you know who I am? Uh-huh. Do, you know, do you know where I'm from? <laughs> um, I, I do love they, they have those like really steep metal stairs that go down into the hangar deck. And mm-hmm. I love the way like they're, they have to like, kind of fan their arms out like they're carrying really heavy suitcases for the railings and then they have that like really fast like walk down the stairs it just looks so goofy and i love it every time it happens <laughs> yeah so as a uh as what uh Adama refers to as a ringleader of the mutiny uh she callie's got she's got to be she's going to be shot and yeah. he's going to round up uh every other member of the the deck crew uh and shoot them too until the, the chief ends the strike uh, and then probably shoot the chief too. Uh, it's like you, like you can't do that. Like you're 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 not going to do that. And Adama's like, I I would rather shoot ten Callies than which like ten Callies. That's a lot of Callies. Is Kelly a Cylon? Cylon Callie confirmed. <laughs> yeah, Adama knows uh, something we don't. Yep. <laughs> He'll shoot ten copies uh, because he knows she'll keep regenerating. Uh, no, the, uh, you know, in order to to keep the the fleet safe. And again, his reasoning is not entirely flawed, but the the lack of grasp of the bigger picture. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the fleet is not safe regardless of what's happening right now. Well, and like, and he he has this like this little speech like, understand me, like the the very safety of this fleet might. Uh, depend on someone getting an order they don't like and having to execute it. And, mm-hmm. you know, if if that doesn't happen, then... Because uh, Chief even says, like, really, you're going to kill her? We have a son. And he's like, you know, ev- you know, and then everyone in this fleet dies, even your son. Like, mm-hmm. and he, I mean, he does have a point. But that's but, Admiral Kane's argument for why she shoots her second-in-command in the head. Mm-hmm. This is like uh, meet the new boss, same as the old boss thing, where uh-huh. it's like, it's just dressed up a little different, but he's threatening... I can't tell if... Is he bluffing? Well, it's not that I think he's bluffing. I think he can't imagine that somebody wouldn't back down. So he's like, I'm prepared. I will shoot Callie. I just know it's not going to come to that. And I think at some point in the next season and a half, it's going to come to that. And it's he's the gonna... same thing when he threatened to nuke the planet. Right, right. But he was just, you know, banking on something happening. But I think he would have done it. It's not that I think he would have done it. I really think he can't imagine a situation where someone wouldn't back down. Right. Eventually someone's not going to back down, though, and he's going to have to. That's what I think is going to happen. I think that we're going to see Adama do something unforgivable, and then we're going to find out he's a Cylon. What worries me is that you're right. Like, a lot of the stuff that he's doing does start to feel more like Admiral Kane, Mm -hmm. and... Like we we got a sense when when Kane was still around that Adama felt like you know in different circumstances that could have been me mm-hmm. and yeah. like are we starting to see those circumstances where like that becomes him uh, and I I don't want to see that Mm-mm. Mm-mm. so I have this thing I say sometimes that I made up and it's um, absolute power corrupts absolutely I know oh, wow that's yeah. a really great that's really profound you, yeah, you I, should write like write that in a book I was gonna put it on a t shirt. Okay. <laughs> um, and sell it um, for a lot of money. But, um, but then you'd end up with absolute power. Yeah. And I would love to be corrupted absolutely. So, <laughs> Corrupt me, please. Please. please corrupt me, me daddy. Like, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so, so the chief does down. back down. Yeah. God damn it. I wasn't actually trying to do it that time. <laughs> <laughs> and chief does back The chief backs down, down. and. Uh, the chief backs get... down. Hey, <laughs> yeah. There ain't no easy way out. The chief backs Callie down. Sorry, on okay, the phone. 
in the other brig. Uh, and, and she's like, did, did they, did they back down? And he's like, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, whatever. yeah. Call it off. And she's like, I'm so proud of you, Galen. And he's like, mm-hmm, give, uh-huh. give the phone back to the Marine. <laughs> and, yeah. Adama releases her. And, um, the, the, the chief at, at one point had said, like, just, I want a, an audience with the president. I want to, to have a conversation with her. And this is, you know, in the middle of this argument with uh, the admiral about the semantics of mutiny versus strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after releasing Callie and the, the chief, uh, Adama says, you know, I, I thought you had something you wanted to talk about with the president. And so the chief gets to act as the, the union representative to to management mm-hmm. uh, and like address those concerns and you know say like you, we you, we're seeing people you know drafted into service based on where they were born and she's like oh it's, it's based on skills and he's like and where do you think they got those skills yeah come on uh, like come on Roslyn somehow without uh, without it all directly uh, alluding to the uh, the book. Uh, <laughs> my triumphs, my mistakes by Gaius Baltar. Uh, he brings up all of Baltar's points, and uh, Rosalind is convinced by them. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. You know, the, when it comes just... from someone she respects, suddenly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, it says, you know, uh, you know it's it, based on where they were born. You know, Capricans are more likely to be professionals, airlines are more likely to be farmers. It's a fact of life. And she's like, I can't change that. He's like, yeah, but we can level the playing field. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of dirty jobs that need to be done in this fleet. And you know, maybe people like you should be doing those jumps. I love it. No offense. No offense. And she kind of takes a beat and she's like, none taken. Mm-hmm. Continue. <laughs> but I feel like she took a little offense. A little bit. Uh, you know, it's, you, you don't say no offense unless you mean at least a little offense. Yeah, I feel like that's what it was. She was like, oh, you did say, hmm. I wasn't offended until you said no offense. So now I need to decide. And he says, you know, let, let's uh, let the people in Colonial One get their hands dirty for a change. She's like, done. What else? I'm like, hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, Look how I'm easily. Look at me leading. Sure. <laughs> sure. Tori can clean a toilet once a week. It's fine. I, Look at me presiding. Well, that's what drives me crazy about this. Because in the first place, this is all Tyrrell wanted. And when... You, when he convinced her at the beginning a little bit and she was like, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll draw, a, we'll have a lottery. It's like, how about what you do is listen to the people who have to live this every day? Because mm-hmm. this is what Tira would have suggested before Danny lost his arm and mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. else happened. But it didn't even, it wasn't even a thought of hers where she's like, where she made the decision to not listen to him. It just didn't even occur to her that maybe she should until we got to this point. And then she still gets to be the one, like, it's like a reward for him for being a good boy, yeah. for, for, you know, a calling off the strike, which I well, just I hate. It does kind of bother me a bit at this point in the show that uh, these big decision moments keep coming up and the the primary decision makers continue to have to learn a moral lesson mm-hmm. uh, in order to make the right choice. Mm-hmm. At this point, like... We, we've learned that they can't be trusted to just agree on the right decision and go with it from the start. Like, somebody's advocating for the right thing, whether it be, you know, Adama against Rosalyn or Hilo against Adama or uh, Lee just saying nothing will work. <laughs> <laughs> somebody's always advocating for, you know, the, the, the right decision. And in, in the end, the, the, the person... Uh, is smugly convinced, but never admits to it. Mm-hmm. And just like, mm, we're doing it your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... It's it's a little annoying. It I is. think this show is... I would watch, not with y'all once a week, but if I could binge a show like this, I would watch 12 seasons happily very quickly. But this show feels to me like we're getting to a point where stuff is really going to need to start popping off or we're just going to keep running into episodes like this where it's like another thing of a story that we've sort of seen just played out a different way. Not that like, not that anything has been repetitive. Well, some things have. How often have I said, oh, another countdown episode? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're kind of, 
I, it just that feels to me. Also, there's only a season and a couple episodes left, so that's yeah. just We're, not. I, I know how TV works. I do want to before we get too far away from the rest of the episode. I do want to call out the one last thing that happens yes. in the conversation with uh, mm. with Chief and and uh, Rosalind, in that she refers to him as the the union president, the union leader, and he's like, "Oh, that union died on New Caprica," mm-hmm. uh, and she's like, "No, we need." someone to advocate for the people and that should be you and i don't think that she can just appoint him union president like i don't think that's how unions work yeah um but i do i do appreciate that she kind of recognizes that she needs him Mm -hmm. to bring these things to her because yeah obviously she's not in a good position to uh to advocate for these people Mm -hmm. like he is And she says, you know, if we are truly becoming a, a divided, you know, polarized society between, you know, these entrenched political class and a disenfranchised underclass, we don't need the Cylons to destroy us. We'll do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And you know, she's like, I'm, I'm willing to fight for the society, and I would love it if you would fight for it as well. Uh, and he's like, you know, I, I will. I will, Madam President. I, I will. I will. I will. I will. I really will. Um, but we get one last little, uh, little happy ending mm-hmm. to this episode. Uh, where the the deckhands are are going through their oh, their yeah. morning orders, and uh, Starbuck comes busting in. <laughs> she comes storming in. She, she is, is pissed. pissed. Chief, one of my nuggets failed to show up for basic <laughs> flight instruction this morning. Oh, I'm I'm sorry to hear that, Captain. So maybe you can might tell me where the hell Diana Celix is. Uh, so good. <laughs> and, and Starbuck just lays into Celix for missing, you know, for being, you know, 20 minutes late on her first day. And out, out, of uniform, uniform. out of uniform to boot. And Chief's like, I think I can take care of that. And he, he grabs a, a pair of Viper wings uh, and pins it to her lapel. And he's like, you know, you got to be an officer to fly Vipers. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, Ensign. Like, oh, That's it's so great. Very good. Uh, I wonder what really... her call sign's going to be. Oh, that's a good question. It's Celix. Just old oh. Celix. It could be Felix, but that's Gata. <laughs> that's Gata. That's his call sign. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, I d- uh, something something annoys me about this though, in that like Starbuck is still like giving her shit for being late and and whatnot, and it's like you obviously planned this whole thing, mm-hmm. like like you obviously did not tell her ahead of time. Like it's not like she just didn't. Starbucks do it a bit. Starbucks I, I can't know, help but it's the smirk on her face oh, when I love it. when Celix marches past her and she turns back to the chief like, eh? yeah, we got her. <laughs> and Cyril says, "Be nice, be nice." <laughs> and so I think good. she says no. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> Starbucks nice is not yeah, in her vocabulary. No. That is not a thing that she knows how to be. Mm-mm. The uh, the the captioning uh, on uh, the show when I was watching it just said like oh or something like that the uh transcript says heh like she laughs but i heard no, no. <laughs> and that would be a very starbucks that's, thing. yeah i believe in my heart that's what starbucks said yeah i love that uh celix is a cylon celix is, is that your okay that's mm-hmm. your your theory yeah well because we're running out of reasons to see her on the deck so now we get to pull her up and mm. we get more of her story um fleshed out so that i can care about her a little more um, so that before her big reveal, yeah. So her Baltar are two, um, pretty much Ooh. at the top of my list this week. I know that changes I, every week, but they're my one and two right now. I'm still like really into this idea that Baltar's programming is so deep that not only does he have a backstory as a farm boy on Aralon, but he has a backstory of hating the Aralon mm-hmm. dialect yes. so much that he teaches himself at at ten years old to speak like a Capricorn. I do. I love this. <laughs> I, I, I love mean, this I really theory. think. I, well, because, Hi. I mean, Sharon had a whole story, didn't she? Like, pictures yeah. and shit? Yeah. And it yeah. also makes it much easier, like, we're, we never have to worry about meeting Baltar's family because he abandoned them forever ago. So mm-hmm. he's got a history that we don't ever have to, that he never has to prove to mm-hmm. us. Until his long-lost brother, Rias, shows up. <laughs> Are they twins? <laughs> we're twins. <laughs> I would love that. Caius and Rias. Uh-huh. It's just like Matthias. Matthias. Matthias Baltar. Matthias mm. Baltar. That's a good Aralon farming name. Yep. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Go see Matthias Baltar. He'll fix your plow. That's funny. This just came up <laughs> on the internet yesterday by me who brought it up, but my... <laughs> well, because it was a weird way to say it, because when I say what... Um, just talking about names like that, um, my grandmother's name was 
Edna Lois and she had an identical twin named Lois Edna and huh. Gaius and Rias just made me made me think of that. So that's the second time. Um, so they weren't they twins, but my my dad's father, my grandpa, uh, Coy, uh, his name was Roy. <laughs> Roy, Roy Coy. Very good. Uh, he had a brother, again, not twins, but had a brother named Stoy. Stoy Coy. Stoy Coy. Wait, is Stoy... Is that an... Was that an... Is, are there other Stoys? I've never heard of another Stoy so either. They just wanted it to rhyme, and they were like, Roy, boy, koi, doi, foi, joy. I mean... Brr, soy. Well, we can't do soy. <laughs> so, could. Soy koi. Soy koi. He's, he's just introducing himself. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I've probably told this story on this podcast before, but um, I had a gym teacher once whose name was what? Carter C. Carter. <laughs> I I love shit like this. We could do this all day. I worked at a doctor's office, and I probably this is a HIPAA violation, but I don't work there anymore. <laughs> I don't think that's how HIPAA yeah, works. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, we had, I mean, I could say that we had a Jennifer Craig, like a Jenny Craig. We had a Neil Diamond. We that's had a, like a, a John Johnson. Are, you, these, Tom are these patients? Yeah. yeah. You sure, surely should not be saying yeah. that. I just said that they are names of people who have gone to a doctor 20 years ago not quite 20 15 i bought i bought a, a car from john carr just the stuff is so good <laughs> names are wild right names now. are wild mm-hmm. uh, apparently it wasn't until like the, the middle ages that surnames really became a thing because when you didn't leave your village like everyone knows like oh that's steve <laughs> yeah exactly that's steve but like when you start traveling around other villages then you run into another steve and you're like oh which steve are you so um cooper because i make barrels <laughs> that's right Quinn Smith. That's where I'm from. I work with metal. Coy. Miller, because I run a mill. Yep. Because I bur- what? Quinn mill doesn't what? Oh, what? Huh? Koi, because well, <laughs> maybe I'll coy? tell you. Maybe I won't. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, very good. Uh, so, Andrew, uh, any other theories beyond uh, Celix and, and Baltar making your top five? Um, no, and also... Your top eight uh, on MySpace? Adama's gonna... They would definitely be in my top eight. Um, Celix probably wouldn't. Baltar, for sure. Um, uh, just those two things, and that Adama's gonna do something seemingly unforgivable at some point. Okay. Well, He's gonna throw a kitten out the airlock. Mm-hmm. We'll tell you about it on Wait, Wait. No, I've already no. done that what? joke. Um, we're going to spool up our FTL drives uh, now that the Tillium is flowing, and we have more than enough for, for, for just one jump. And uh, we're going to jump to the... Ahead of the Cylons. I've done that one already. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, you know, we're just, uh, Run you know, out of jokes. We're, yeah, we're getting at that point in the, mm-hmm. in the series. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to spool up the FTL drives, and we're going to jump away to a secure location, and hopefully the Cylons won't find us there. Uh, but we will find you there. Ooh. So say we all. So say we all. So say we all. Begin jump prep. We're leaving. We'll be back. Start your prep. Set Condition One is a Night Shift Radio production. Visit nightshiftradio.com for more information.